This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Spring of 1993, I was 13 years old. I'm sitting at the lunch table at this Christian school that I go to, just minding my own business. It's Wednesday at my school, Chick-fil-A Wednesday. I'm enjoying my chicken sandwich when all of a sudden my basketball coach comes up to me and asks me a question. He says, Josh, we got a bunch of boys that are ineligible this week, and uh, I was wondering if you would be willing to come run track with us uh, on Friday. Now, a couple things you need to understand. One, um, I know nothing about track. I had not done that uh, I've, I've, I've played baseball, I've played basketball, I've done those kind of sports. I don't really like running much, um, but I'm fairly athletic, and so the coach recognizes that. He's the coach of basketball, he's the coach of baseball, he's also the track coach at this school. So he's like, would you be willing to run? He says, Josh, here's the thing, it's on Friday, it's during school, you're going to have to miss some school, to which I said, coach, say nothing more. I am so in, I am so in. Whatever you need me to do, I will do it. So I show up on Friday, we get on a bus. Uh, coach tells me about a couple of, of different runs he's gonna have me do. And then he tells, he, he makes this announcement on the bus. He's like, hey, I need someone to run the 1600. Now, I, again, I know nothing about track. That number means nothing to me. So no one's lifting up their hands. So I'm like, okay, I'll do it. So I lift up my hands. He's like, okay, great, Josh, you're going to run the 1600. So I then turn to my friend. I'm like, hey, uh, what's the 1600? And he's like, dude, that's the long one. That's four times around the track. That's a mile. Now, 13-year-old Josh feels pretty invincible. So I said, cool, let's go, right? Let's do this. So I show up at the track meet. I run a couple of sprints, do pretty good, placed in them, did well. Um, and then, you know, there, if you've ever done track before or been around track, there's a lot of time in a track meet, a lot of spare time. And I found myself with a lot of time and there was a concession stand open. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I started frequenting this concession stand, getting a Dr. Pepper. No one is watching over me. No one's saying, Hey, that's a bad idea, but I'm grabbing Dr. Peppers. I'm grabbing Skittles. I grab some chili cheese nachos and I'm just, <laughs> I'm just going for it going for it. And so finally, uh, the coach comes up to me. He says, hey, uh, it's time for the 1600. So I, I put my nachos down and I walked over to the starting line and I'm looking around and I'm feeling good. Like I'm looking around at these boys that are going to be running with me. And I'm thinking, I got this. This is going to be easy. One of these dudes is wearing some of the shortest shorts I have ever seen in my life. Now, this is 1993. This is a couple of years after the Fab Five Michigan. Like, boys at this time are wearing shorts well below our knees. That's the style. Now, things are changing in the world today, aren't they? You notice the boys are now wearing short shorts again? John Stockton style. And we got mullets and we got perms. And like, what is happening? I don't know. But anyways, I'm standing there. I'm looking at short shorts. And I'm thinking, this is going to be good. So I begin to start working through my strategy, and here's my strategy. I'm going to run fast. <laughs> lap one, fast. Lap two, fast. Lap three, you guessed it, fast. And then I'm going to finish this race running fast. In other words, here's my point. I have no strategy. I have no concept in how I should run this race. 
And so they fire the gun and I take off running and I take off running like I would run any race, like I'm running a sprint. I just take off and get out in front of everybody. And I'm wondering like, what's wrong with these guys? They're running so slow. And so I get out way ahead of them. I put like a hundred yards between me and the next guy. Short shorts is way behind me at this point. I'm feeling, I'm feeling good until I'm not. And, and about halfway through that first lap, I start feeling some stuff. I start feeling some concession stand. I start feeling some, some chili cheese nachos and, and cramping and, and like my legs are burning and my lungs are burning. And so I start to all of a sudden, this big gap that I had between me and short shorts is now starting to get smaller. And so I got to dig deep. So I dig deep. And for about 10 seconds, I can dig deep. But, but then I can't anymore. And now short shorts is, is closing in on me. And now short shorts passes me to which I'm thinking, okay, enough is enough. And I dig deep again for another six seconds. And, and so now like I'm, I'm thinking this is not going well. I got a lot of race left and I am struggling right now. So I go to my secret weapon. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And under my breath, I start quoting that. I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. And guess what happened? It was amazing, guys. Guess what happened? You know what happened? Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. And I, I swear, I bet, I'm sure God was up in heaven looking at me going, yeah, uh, I don't think so, bro. Good luck, right? And I kid you not, at the end of this race, I came in second to last place in this race. And I mean, I limped across the finish line. The only reason I didn't come in last place is because there was another kid who bailed out about three laps into this and was throwing up on the side of the track. But I learned something that day. I learned a valuable lesson that day. There is a pace to which to run a race, right? And not every, every race has the same pace. And, and I want you to know today we are in a race. The Bible makes that clear, doesn't it? Hebrews 12 tells us, let us run, notice these words, with endurance. Notice there's a specific way we're called to run the race that we're in, the race that God has set before us. In front of every one of us is a race that we're called to run. And this race is not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's a race you're gonna be in for the rest of your life. And there's a specific way you're called to run this race so you can run it with endurance. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, don't you, do you not know that in a race, all runners run? So everybody's running, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. So we're all in a race and we're all called to run. And if we're gonna run this race God's called us to with endurance, if we're gonna run this race in such a way as to actually win the race God invites us to, there's a specific pace that we're called to walk in. We have to learn how to engage with the race at the pace God invites us to run the race in. Now, here's the reality that we all live into, and that is this. There is an enemy to your life. The Bible makes it clear. There is a real devil. There's a real Satan. And his goal, his aim is to steal, kill, and destroy you. And one of the ways that he wipes you out, that he gets you out of the race, is he wears you out. And he tries to get you to buy into the rat race that this world runs the race at to, so that he can wear you out, so that he can, he can wear you down. And very many Christians, many Christians buy into this pace. And because of that, we don't win. We're not able to run with endurance. And so stuff ends up happening. Like, like we bail out on marriages because we don't know how to run the race. We cramp up on our calling because we don't know how to run the race. We, we wear out on the raising of our kids 
because we don't actually know how to run the race the right way, we end up falling along the sides. We end up running it very poorly because we're running at a pace that God never intended us to run the race at. What's, what's the problem? Here's the problem. It's busyness. So often we look at the world today and we, we wear busyness like it's a badge of honor. You go up to a dude sometime. I talk to guys from t- sometimes and I'm, I'm guilty of this too. Talking to him. Hey man, how are you doing? Oh man, I'm busy. Yeah, me too. We're busy. And it's like, oh cool. Patting each other on the back. Look at how busy we are. We're so busy. Carrie, uh, Corey Timboom said this. If the enemy cannot make you bad, he'll make you busy. Why is this? Because sin and busyness have the same exact effect on our lives. Sin and busyness do the exact same thing. They cut off connection, connection with others, connection with God, connection to your own soul. So yeah, life is busy. I get it. And the enemy wants you to keep it that way. He wants you to live busy. Why? Because if you can live busy, you'll get into a hurry. And when you're in a hurry, you you fall short of the glory of God. John Ortberg says it like this in his book, Soul Keeping. He says, being busy is a condition of our outer world, having many things to do. Being hurried is a problem of the soul. It's being so preoccupied with myself and what myself has to do that I'm no longer able to be fully present with God, with myself, and with other people. I am, I am unable to occupy the present moment. I can't be present in the moment because I'm so busy. I'm in such a hurry, thinking about the next thing, thinking about the next thing I gotta get done. Busyness migrates to hurry when we let it squeeze God out of our lives. I cannot live in the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. I cannot rest in God with a hurried soul. How many of you have ever seen powerboat races before? Any of you guys ever seen these before? Not too many of you. They used to be on TV quite a bit. When Sarah and I first got married, we, we worked at two different places. And uh, we would meet up at her parents' house for, for lunch because it was kind of the midway point between where I worked and where she worked. So we'd meet there, and we had about 30 minutes to, to, at her parents' house to make our lunch and to kind of hang out together. And, and, and often, this is like 2005, we would watch TV. And so we turn on the TV and this is 2005 TV on demand was not what it is today. Like you watch what's on. Okay. And a lot of times what would be on is on one of these ESPN channels, they would have these powerboat races. And when they were on, I would always watch them because they were fascinating. Now, if you don't know uh, what happens in a powerboat, a powerboat race is the powerboats are, are racing, right? And, and to, to race quickly, uh, the, the powerboat is kind of trying to strike this balance of skimming across the top of the water without flying up into the air because the water equals resistance. And so if the boat sits deep in the water, the deeper it is, the slower it goes. And so since the object is speed, they want to skim as quickly as possible but I would watch these races because inevitably, in the process of skimming and trying to strike this, strike this balance, one of these boats is going to go flying up into the air. And because it's made out of like styrofoam and paper and nerf, it's going to hit the ground and explode into this incredible crash. And, and then you'd see some dude pop out. And it was always amazing. Like they'd have these incredible crashes and then some dude would kind of pop out with his thumb up in the air like, I'm okay. You're like, dude, that guy should be dead. How did he do this? But I tell you that story because I think for a lot of us, this is how we're living our life. Like we're skimming through life. Trying, we, don't, we don't go deep anywhere. We're skimming on our relationships. We're skimming on our relationship with our spouse, on our relationship with our kids, on our relationship with God. And we're heading towards a crash and it's gonna be ugly. Guys, I've seen it so many times. People running at this race and they head towards a crash. 
And beyond that, even if you haven't crashed yet, guess what? You're missing out because you're skimming. You're not able to go deep like you should be going deep. You're skimming and you're missing out. You're skimming on opportunities. You're skimming on, on growth that God wants to take place in your life. You're skimming. And so I want you to understand something. Hurry is hurting you. It's hurting you. And hurry is hurting the people that are around you. John Mark Comer says this. He says, hurry is violence on the soul. And so you know, it's not a God concept at all. Like nowhere in scripture are you going to find verses that talk about, hey, you need to pick up the pace, dude. You need to pick it up. Like that's not a God concept. In fact, if you look at the life of Jesus, you don't see Jesus like, and think about Jesus. He's living in this earth. He's only got 33 years to, to live and he's only got three years he's really doing his ministry. If you would think there's anyone that would be in a hurry, it would be Jesus. Like going to his disciples and going, guys, we got to pick up the pace. I got a lot to do. I got very little time to get it all done. Let's go. Let's hurry. Come on. We can't do this. I got people to heal. I got, I got to bring freedom to this world. And we don't, we, but we don't see that. What we see is that Jesus would often pull away. He was often slowing things down. And we see in the scripture this warning against moving at a hurried pace. Proverbs 19.2, a person in a hurry makes mistakes. Proverbs 21.5, hurry and scurry put you further behind. Jeremiah 2.25, slow down. Somebody say slow down. down. Take a deep breath. In fact, let's just practice that right now. Take a deep breath. What's the hurry? Why wear yourself out? Just what are you after anyways? It's a good question. Like, what's the real aim here? What are you really going after? It's interesting. We, we live these hurried lives because we're so busy. And, and, and it leads to all sorts of problems. In fact, one of the problems we're seeing today in America with our youth is that anxiety is at an all-time high. So think about this. We're living in a time, a day and age when, you know, in some ways it's, it's the most convenient world there's ever been. And the dangers of like just living like daily, like the threat of just dying daily is not that high for most of us. And yet young people in America have anxiety at an all time high, higher than what anxiety was in World War I, World War II, during all the craziness of the 1960s and the Vietnam War. During the pioneering of the Wild West, today among young people, anxiety is at an all-time high. Why? Because there's something about modern life that doesn't lead to, to, to flourishing like God's designed us to. There's something about living at the pace of this world that's leading. There's something to skimming, something about skimming through life that's leading to all sorts of problems. And so Jesus offers us another option. It says this in Matthew 11, verse 25, are you tired? And as I say this, I want you to like ask yourself these questions. Are you tired? Like, are you just worn out? Is your body telling you, hey, I'm tired? Like, are you just living on Red Bulls and five-hour energies and eight-shot espressos? Like, for real, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Look at this. Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. The good news for you is if you are tired today, if you find yourself, if you find yourself today as I talk about this going, man, I think I'm skimming, you can recover your life. There's a way to recover your life through Jesus. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay 
anything heavy or ill-fitting on you, keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. I want you to know this morning, New Song Church, God has real life for you. God has something more for you than just buying in to this pace of the rat race of the world that we live in. But, but, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. What lies beneath, right? We're in a series, What Lies Beneath. We're looking at the deeper issues, right? In fact, throw up that, that artwork for the series, guys. We have the, the artwork that we did for the series is this iceberg. And if you were here the first week of the series, we talked about how when you see an iceberg, what you see on the surface is the 10%, but that other 90%, that's the iceberg too. And that makes up the majority of what the iceberg is. So what lies beneath? Well, there's, there's stuff underneath what lies, what we actually show. So what we show, what that tip of the iceberg that we want people to see is we want people to see that we're hard workers. We want people to see that we're good providers, that we're, we're, we're successful employers or employees, that we're, we're responsible and committed. That's what we want people to see. But what really lies beneath are these lies beneath of stuff like, I am what I do. My purpose is my production. My valuables determine my value. We come to believe those lies. And, and I think the greatest of those lies is this lie that, that we believe that says, I don't really know if I can truly trust God with the pace of my life. I don't know if I, if I really turn over my life to the Lord and do things His way, if I can trust that what He's going to give me is as good as what I can give me if I do this my way. So I'm not going to do things God's way related to this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move at my own pace. I'm going to move at my own rhythm. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be my own provider. I'm going to be my own producer. I'm going to be responsible for the production of my, of my life. And we live out of that, and it, it leads to all sorts of chaos. I want you to know this morning, New Song Church, we've been called out of that. We've been called out of trying to prove our worth through our work. So you know today, if you've made Jesus Lord of your life, you're a child of God. And God doesn't look at you and value you based on your production, based on how much you can get done for him. No, he values you simply because you're a child of God. You're not what you do. Who you are is who you belong to. You're a child of God. You belong to him. And so we, we live into that. We live into, I am God's, he is mine, and my God is my provider. And out of that, we can reflect his image in the world. And it's an image that is counterculture to the world, to the rat race of this world, that projects an image into the world that says, whoa, 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 they're not running the race like everybody else is. They're running at a different pace, and yet they're successful, and yet they're blessed, and yet they're having favor on their life. What is different about them? What are they doing that's different than what I'm doing? God has called us to live that way, but we can't live that way if we don't obey what God's calling us to do and do things his way. So what we do is instead of living out of that reality, we live into this reality that I got to make it happen. So I'm going I'm to put my head down and I'm going to grind and I'm going to get stuff done and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a name for myself and you better not get in my way. You better not get in my way, workforce. You better not get in my way, other employees or employer. You better not get in my way, spouse. You better not get in my way, kids. 
You better not get in my way, Pastor. Pastor, you're stepping on my, my work toes right now. I don't really like this. You better not get in my way. You better not talk about my work life. I don't like this very much. You better not get in my way, God, because I got to make a name for myself. You better not get in my way. Listen, it's from this place that God invites us to step out of this race. There's a pace that God invites us to run from. And in this pace is this idea called the Sabbath. Somebody say Sabbath. Sabbath. Say it like you mean it, Sabbath. Sabbath. It's where God invites us to run at a different rhythm, a different pace, to run the race that's set before us so that we can run it with endurance, so that we can run it in such a way that we can win, so that we can run it in such a way that we don't get to the end of our life and we look back and say, man, I wish I would have done this a little bit differently. I skimmed on so many things and I missed out. I may have made a lot of money. I may have accomplished a lot of goals, but some of the greater goals I missed out on. So I want to help you to see how to step into this rhythm God invites us to today. Now, in order to understand how any creation works, um, I think it's good that we would look to the creator of that creation because no one knows how a creation works better than a creator. So let's look at how God designed this world, designed us, designed the rhythms of this world so we can get a greater understanding of how to step into this rhythm of life with the Lord. So number one, if you're taking notes this morning, write this down. Rest was modeled in how God designed. Rest was modeled in how God designed. Look at this, Genesis 2 verse 1, that's the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. So this is talking about the creation narrative. By the seventh day, God had finished his work that he had been doing. So God has been working and now he's, he's, he's going to do something different. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. So God rested from his work on the seventh day. And understand this, when God rested on the seventh day, it wasn't because he was tired. Like God wasn't tired. He's an all-powerful God. God didn't get to today seven. He's like, golly, I am so, whoo, oh my me. Like I need a break. This has been a busy week. I've done a lot and I need to rest. I need to chill. I'm going to take a chill pill here with God and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to step back from all this. No, God didn't, God wasn't tired. An all-powerful God doesn't get tired. He didn't. He, he wasn't tired any more than, listen, he didn't need six days to create the world. You realize he's all powerful, which means that in a moment he could have created everything if he wanted to. So what was God doing? He creates the world with six days and a day of rest. Why? To establish a rhythm. And at the climax of his creation is this day of rest. It's actually creation was made in such a way that it is out of the rest that we engage with the rest of our life. And so what we see at the beginning is rest was modeled in how God designed. After completing his work, the climax of the week was that he rested from his work. Number two, rest was modeled in what God designed. Rest wasn't just modeled in how God designed. It was modeled in what God designed. Look at this with me, Genesis 1 verse 3. This is God establishing days. Then God said, let there be light and there was light, and God saw the light, and it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called 
night. Now look at this next part. So there was evening and there was morning the first day. And we see that pattern repeated over and over again through scripture here. Verse eight, so there was evening and morning the second day. Verse 13, so there was evening and morning the third day. Verse 19, so there was evening and morning the fourth day. Uh, verse 23, so there was evening and morning the, the fifth day. Verse 31, so there was evening and morning the sixth day. So, so notice, according to God and how he structured the world, the day begins with the evening. Why is this? Well, what happens in the evening? We rest. We go to sleep. And what God's establishing again is that I want you to engage with the day from a place of rest. In fact, when God creates Adam, when does he create him? He creates him on the sixth day. So what's the, the day that, that, that Adam engages with the world? What's his first full day? It's the day of rest. So we see God establishing this world with a priority on rest being a part of our life, that we, we are to engage with the rest, and out of the one, we engage with the sixth. And from the one, we gain the strength and the power to move into the sixth. Here's the third thing. Rest was modeled for who God designed. Rest was modeled for who God designed. So not only does he establish this rhythm in creation, not only does he establish this rhythm in how his creation works, he then establishes it in the people that he loves in his covenant people. So in Exodus, uh, the children of Israel are escaping Egyptian captivity. God has freed them out of slavery. For 400 years, they've been slaves. So think about this. Generations have, have lived and died. Multiple generations have lived and died, and all they've known is slavery. All they've known is toil. All they've known is working at, at a pace that they don't get to determine, Every day. They don't get a day off. They work every day. And they're, they're basically a tool for, for, for pyramids being built. That's how they're seen. And so they're just working every day. And they can't slow down. They can't control their pace. If they do that, they die. So this is all they know. So now God has freed them from the captivity physically. And he's bringing them out of that. But, but even though they're free physically, how I many you know you can be free physically and not necessarily free mentally? They still have a, a slavery mentality. And so God says, hey, I'm going I'm to take you to a promised land. I've got a place waiting for you that I want to take you to. It's a, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, or in today's terms, it's a land flowing with steaks and BMWs. Like it's going to be a good place for you. You're going to love this place. But on the way there, he takes them into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, they find themselves in a place where the wilderness cannot provide for them. In order for them to be taken care of, God has to engage with them. And God is trying to teach them, you can count on me. This is who I am for you. And so what does God do? Exodus 16, he talks about how God begins to make this stuff fall down that will feed them. They call it manna. Manna means, what is it? Because they don't know what it is. But it's this stuff, the Bible says it's like coliander and it, it tastes like wafers and honey. And they would eat it and it would, it would sustain them. It would take care of them. It would provide for them what they needed. And God says, this is how it's going to work. For six days, I'm going to make this stuff appear every day. And on the sixth day, I want you to collect twice as much as you would on a normal day because on the seventh day, I want you to rest. On the seventh day, I don't want you collecting this stuff. On the seventh day, I want you to chill. I want you to take a break from your work and I want you to rest. God is bringing them back to the rhythm of creation. But you know what? This slave mentality is so deeply enrooted in them that they can't do it. They can't break away. They go out... And they're collecting it again. And so God comes back to them and he says, okay, since you're not going to do it my way when I ask you to, I'm going to establish it in the law. And so in the Ten Commandments, right beside thou shalt not steal, which is a good idea. 
and thou shalt not kill, which I highly recommend. Beside those, he places this command in Exodus 20, verse 8. He says, remember the Sabbath. Notice, remember the Sabbath. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but you can't remember something you haven't been taught before. So what's Jesus point, or what's God pointing them back to? He's pointing them back to the creation idea, the creation concept, the creation rhythm. This is something I've established. I want you to remember how I created this world to operate. And I want you to live into that. Remember the Sabbath. Remember this day by keeping it holy. That word holy there means set apart. It means it's a special day. It's a holy day. It means that you're to take it out of circulation. It's the same word we would use for when like someone gets married. Like if you get married to someone, that person that you got married to, you have taken them out of circulation, which means they are set apart for you for special purposes. And you engage with them different than you engage with everybody else. They're, they're special and set apart for you. They're not for anyone else. In the same way, the Sabbath is a special set apart day that we're to engage with God and we're to engage with rest in a, in, a, in a different way. We're to live this way. This day isn't like the other days. It's a special day. It's a set apart day. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. So God says, I'm commanding you to take a day off because you won't just live into the rhythm I've created. So you're not, you're, you're, you're skimming, you're working too hard. You're, I want you to live into what I'm creating. So I'm commanding you to do this. Why? Because God knows best. Because God knows that you at your best is arrested you. You at your best for your family. You at your best for the work that you do is a you that is rested. And so God modeled this for who he designed. God modeled uh, rest in how he designed and what he designed for who he designed. And then here's the fourth thing. God modeled rest for, by, rest was modeled by the one who designed, by the one who designed. So back to Genesis 1 verse 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And just so you know, like you, you, if you really believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have to believe in the book of Genesis. You have to believe, because in the beginning, in Genesis, it tells us that it was through the, the work, it was through what Adam and Eve did that sin entered the world. And so how do you believe in a Jesus who came to redeem us from sin if you don't believe in Genesis? And so in Genesis, we see this creation narrative. And then we see in John, it says this, it says, in the beginning, same phrasing, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So it's talking about this, this, this Word, but this Word is a person, and this person is God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So this word, this, this God in the form of this word is the word that created this world. So he established this world to work the way that this world works. And in verse 14, it says, the word, this time about that same word that we were just reading about that created and established everything. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is talking about Jesus. So Jesus is the one in creation that creates the heavens and the earth. He's the one that set everything in motion, that put everything in place, that works the way it does. And so he's the one that established one day off into six days on. He's the one that set that rhythm in place. And then we see Jesus engaging in this rest rhythm when he steps into creation. When, when Jesus puts on flesh and comes to live within creation, we see him resting. 
In fact, I encourage you, study the life of Jesus. Look at how Jesus engaged with rest. It's amazing how often you see him pulling away to rest. And it's also amazing you see him pulling away to rest to go to connect with God and then to going back into the work, his assignment, and stepping back into into it with a power to do amazing things, to do miracles, to set people free, to heal and to change lives. You see, Jesus, when he was on this earth, he embraced his humanity. Yes, Jesus was the son of God, but he laid down many parts of his divinity to step into the reality of being a human so that he could model a life that we could look at and engage from. And so Jesus lived like we do. He, he was the son of God. He was a man. He was a, he was a human being who operated under the power of the Holy Spirit in everything that he did. So we can look at him. And, and here's what we see in the life of Jesus. He needed rest. He engaged in this world from a place of, I'm limited in my humanity. Jesus did that. Do you? Jesus realized he had limitations when he was here. Do you? Like, I hope you know today, you're limited. Look at the person beside you and say, you limited. You're limited. Your wisdom is limited. Your energy is limited. Your, your knowledge, it's, it's, it's limited. Your production is limited. Your abilities are, are, are limited. And so God, the creator and establisher of this world, Jesus recognized that and was willing to step away to connect with his father and to rest. And so, you know, to go against God's creation always leads to disaster. When we go against the model that God established, it's always going to lead to disaster. And, and listen, isn't this the world we're living in today? Like you look at the world today and so much of the rebellion we see in this world is a rebellion against God as a creator and in his creation operating the way he created it to operate. So we got people questioning their sexuality and, 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 and God's creation and all these things. We're all questioning that stuff and it leads to pain and hurt and heartache and all sorts of disaster. Why? Because we're not willing to step into the creator's creation the way we're supposed to. And here's the thing, many Christians, we do this too. We do this when it comes to our work and our rest life. We get mad when we see the world doing it, but we ourselves do the very same thing that we get mad at the world for doing related to how we operate and function in this world. God created a rhythm in this world six days on, one day off. And from the one, we engage with the six. And when we don't do it God's way, it's always going to lead to pain and hurt. In fact, it's interesting if you study history, you'll see that different civilizations have tried to not live from this rhythm and every time they do, it leads to disaster. I was reading this article this week by this guy, Bob Sullivan. He wrote for CNBC this, this article called Memo to Work Martyrs, Long Hours Make You Less Productive. He said this, research that attempts to quantify the relationship between hours worked and productivity found that employee output falls sharply off after 15-hour work week. It falls off the cliff after 55, so much so that someone who puts in 70 hours produces nothing more with those extra 15 hours. Why is this? Because God created the world to operate and work a certain way. And when we move outside of that, it don't work. Anytime we step out of God's creation and God's cr creative narrative and how he created things to work, it's never good. So God says one day off into six days on. One day off into six days on. And when we don't do it God's way, it hurts us. 
Wayne Mueller said it like this in his book on the Sabbath. He says, if we do not allow for rhythms of rest in our overly busy lives, illness becomes our Sabbath. Our pneumonia, our cancer, our heart attack, our accidents create Sabbath for us. In other words, if we don't slow down and take a day off and rest the way God has called us to, we're going to end up having to slow down and take a rest because things are going to happen. Now, I'm not saying that, and I don't think he is either, that God is going to like hurt you if you don't do this. But what happens is you're stepping outside of God's ways of doing things. And out of that, you're stepping into the culture of this world, which is broken. And so what does that lead to? Brokenness and pain and hurt. So we can either give God or remember and obey God and give the Sabbath or we'll have the Sabbath taken from us. So there's, there's, there's pain involved with not doing this God's way. But there's also, understand, there's also blessing that comes when you obey God. When you do things God's way, there's a blessing. In fact, it's interesting in Genesis 1 and 2, we see God in the creation. He's blessing some of his creation. We see three blessings take place. The first one takes place with the animals. He speaks to the animals and he says this. He says, be fruitful and multiply. This is the first blessing in scripture. Be fruitful and multiply. So what's the blessing? The, the blessing is that there's an empowerment by God to be fruitful and to multiply in what you do, right? And then God creates man and he says to man, he says what? He says, be fruitful and multiply. So we see again, the same blessing to be fruitful in the work that you do and multiply in the work that you do. And then we see God bless the third thing here in Genesis 2, verse 2. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Verse 3, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Okay, so follow the pattern. When God blesses something, what happens? It's able to be fruitful and multiply in what it does. So when God blesses the Sabbath, what happens? The Sabbath day is able to be fruitful and multiply in your life and what it does. So you're able to be fruitful in your rest and to see the rest of God be multiplied in your life and you're able to be fruitful in your work and see your work life be multiplied because you're obeying God and honoring God. You see that? There's a blessing that comes with doing things God's way. Okay, so a couple things. Number one is this. Work and work hard. Work and work hard. Listen, I'm not saying that, you know, we're, we're to be these rested people, yes, and so now we just float through life doing nothing. Like the concept of God is this concept of like living in your parents' basement and playing video games all day and being an influencer. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying, okay? God expects you to work. In fact, you were created to work. Genesis 2.15 says, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And this is pre-sin. So listen, Sin is, or work is not a part of the curse, okay? Now, there's a toil that comes with work now because of the curse, but, but you were created to work. In fact, you will work someday in heaven. Revelation talks about how someday in heaven, you're going to have a job assignment, and it's going to be a good job. You're going to love it, but you're not just going to be like floating around on a cloud with a banjo and a halo on your head. A banjo? I don't know what kind of heaven that is, but... Whatever your idea of heaven is, there's going to be some work involved. And so, so here's the thing. We work. We work. Uh, Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. That's the Bible. So do the work that's in front of you. The Bible talks about how we're to work as unto the Lord. Jesus says, what you did for the least of these, you did for me. So we should work. We should work for our employers like they're Jesus. 
That's the kind of effort we should put forth. So I'm telling you, I'm telling you, work hard. I'm telling you, build a business, grow your wealth, be, be someone that God can bless because you're obeying him and working hard. Be someone that God can, is, is blessable, that you can bless your family and you can be a, someone that God can funnel riches through for the kingdom of God. God needs people who work hard, so work hard. But listen, don't work dumb. Don't work dumb. What, what do I mean by that? Well, I think some people think, okay, so I can work hard, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work like crazy for six days. And then on, on the seventh day, I'll just slam on the brakes. And so for six days, I'm just going to go nuts and work like, you know, pedal to the metal. Listen, that's not good either. The rhythm of, of rest should be modeled within your six days. So, so like, are you, how are you doing with that? When, when do you start work? When do you stop work? in your six days? Do you have a hard end of day? Is there a point in your life when you stop getting texts, when you stop taking phone calls? Like, are you present with your family? Now, something that Sarah and I have been learning and, and, and growing as we, we lead this church, well, a church of over a thousand people, there's a lot of needs. And, and, and if we're not careful, those needs can drive our life. So we've had to put things in place. To, to protect our home life. Because listen, I'm the pastor of New Song Church, but I'm also the pastor of my home. And I, and, and I don't know about you, but this is my life with my family. This is all I get. And they are growing up fast. Like they were little not that long ago, and now they're getting big and it's crazy. And I, I don't want, what they remember about me and Sarah is that we were, we were absent, that we were always disappearing to take a phone call or, or never really present with him or that we were so worn out that we couldn't be, go to the deep places with them. Like I've been guilty of this before. Like I'm so worn out that I'm just like going, going in for bedtime. It's like, okay, good night. Like falling out of the room. And I've had to learn to slow down. And what I found is a lot of times it's in that slowing down that I go in there and say, okay, good night. And I'm tired and I'm getting, start walking out and I hear this question. Hey dad. And I know, okay, here we go. But I've also discovered that it's in those, those moments. There's some beautiful teaching moments there where the Holy Spirit has shown up and helped us to engage with our kids in certain ways, engage with Sarah and me in a certain way through our, through our life together. If I, if I, if I slow down, but, but if we're not careful, we'll skim and we'll just, we'll miss out. I've seen too many stories. I've heard too many stories of people that we would look at and we go, oh man, they were so successful. And they'll say, yeah, but I was just at a conference not that long ago and this minister who's in his 80s is talking about his life and they're praising, they're heaping praise on him of how, how, how great of a race he's run. And he went out of his way to say, you know what though? I messed up. I didn't spend enough time with my kids. He, he wanted people to know, hey, don't get in such a hurry that you miss out on this. How are you doing with that? Are you skimming? Are you skimming? Don't work, yes, but don't work dumb. Don't give your family your leftovers. Don't give them the worst parts of you. Build some structure into your six days so that you can make sure within your six days you're engaging with your family the way they need you to. Amen? Amen. So we work and we work hard. We, we, we don't work dumb. And then we rest and we rest well. Rest and rest well. Let me, let me give you two steps towards a meaningful Sabbath day. Okay? And there's, man, there's so much I could, I could tell you on this. I, I had to cut my notes way down 
to, to try to fit this in. Here, here's my encouragement to you. I could give you a lot of practical steps, but I'm not going to because I just simply don't have time. And honestly, I, I think what's best is that you would take some time and invite the Holy Spirit into this. In fact, I'd encourage you, especially if you're married, to take some time this week and get with your spouse and ask some questions and, and be open. Listen, ask this question, how am I doing with this? Am I skimming? And be, be open to them saying, you're doing not so good. And when they say that, don't get all mad. Like, well, I'm just trying to build something for you. <laughs> calm down. Everybody say, calm down. <laughs> no one's trying to hurt you. Like, let's just believe that, that iron sharpens iron and that our spouses are help meet and that we're here to help each other, and that we maybe have some blind spots that the other person sees that we don't see. I'm telling you, you need help. And let's be open to what God may be saying through our spouse. Somebody say amen. amen. Let's take some time and talk, and then maybe put together what this looks like for you. But let me, let me give you two, two ideas based on Leviticus 23. It says this, there are six days when you may work, but the seventh is two things, a day of Sabbath rest, and a day of sacred assembly. So two things. It's a break for rest, and it's a break for sacred assembly. So it's a break where we, we, we break for rest, we stop our work life, and we rest, and then we break and we have this sacred assembly. We connect in relationships, and we connect with the people that God has put in our life in a special way. Let's talk about this. Number one, we break for rest. Pete Scazzaro in his book says this. He says, Sabbath is first and foremost a day when we cease all work, paid and unpaid. On the Sabbath, we embrace our limits. We, 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 we let go of the illusion that we are indispensable to the running of the world. We recognize we will never finish all our goals and projects and that God is on the throne managing quite well in ruling the universe without our help. So we stop and we live this day differently. This is a sacred day. It's a set apart day. So I'm going to live differently, right? This day's out of circulation with the rest of the day. So how am I going to do this? I'm going to live differently. I'm going to disconnect from some of my work life stuff. What am I going to do with my email? What am I going to do with my phone? What am I going to do with notifications? What am I going to do with this stuff? We're going to live differently into this day. You say, Pastor Josh, that's great for you to say. That's great for your church staff to say. That's great for some of you people who maybe you're, you're your own boss and you can do this, but you don't know what I'm dealing with. I got, I got a boss and I got people that are nipping at my heels. And if I do this this way, they're like, I'm, I'm up for a promotion. I'm trying to pursue this and I got to go after this and I got to, I got to win the favor of my boss. And I, I, I can't do that. Listen, I get it. I get that this is going to take faith. I get it. But I believe when we do things God's way, we receive the blessing of God and that God can do more in our six given to him, surrendered to him than we can do with seven on our own. And man, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've talked with people and they're successful people. And they'll say, you know what? It's amazing. Stuff just falls in my lap. I have guys in my business that are just grinding and working and trying to, and they'll come to me like, what are you doing? And I'm just like, I, I'm just, this is how I practice my life. I make time for my family and I honor God and I have a Sabbath day and God blesses me. Like I, 
We have to believe in faith that way. And I get that this may take some conversations. I get this may take, like, it won't always be the same for you. You may have to look at what your Sabbath is going to look like from week to week. What I'm, what I'm encouraging you to do is engage with God in this and invite God into what Sabbath looks like for you. Break for rest. John Mark Comer says this, and he says, Sabbath is an expression of faith. Faith that there is a creator and he's good. He's good. We are his creation. This is his world. We live under his roof, drink his water, eat his food, breathe his oxygen. So on the Sabbath, we don't just take a day off from work. We take a day off from toil. We give him all our fear and anxiety and stress and worry. All that stuff that's telling you, I can't do this. I can't do this. We hand that over to him. We let go. We stop ruling and subduing and we just be. We remember our place in the universe so that we never forget there is a God and I'm not him. There is a God and I'm not him. The Sabbath is about taking a break, breaking from your work, but it's also about a break from for sacred assembly. It's not just a break. Uh, we, we, we connect with God and we connect with the people that we love in a special way. And we carve out a space and we invite God and the Holy Spirit into that space that we've carved out. So three things. Number one is you connect with God on your Sabbath day. You connect with God in a special way. Now, again, I, I can't tell you exactly what that can look like for you. I encourage you to do some study on this, but I'll tell you a little bit about what it looks like for me. For me, um, obviously, I have quiet time. I have time with the Lord every day. But on my Sabbath day, I invite God to engage with me in a different way. And one of the things I do is I say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? And a lot of times what the Holy Spirit wants to do with me is he wants me to shut up and just be quiet and practice some silence and just go on a walk and don't go on a walk and pray. Go on a walk and just be, like just be with him. And it's out of that. And it's, it's, it's neat because God, I'll go on these walks and God will start speaking to me and he starts encouraging me. But he doesn't talk to me about work. Why? Because he knows it's my day off. We're not talking about that. But he'll talk to me about me and he'll talk to me about my family and he'll talk to me and encourage me. And, I, and he puts courage in. That's what God does. And so I'll spend some special time in the word. I'll spend some special time in prayer. I'll do those things. So, and and that's, that's part of what we do. We, we assemble, we come together, we invite God into this space in a special way. Here's the second thing, we connect with yourself in a special way. Remember we talk about how this is a day when we connect with the people we love? I bet you love you, right? So we connect with ourselves, and we do some stuff that we love. In, in our home, I don't know where Sarah got this, but I, she talks about pleasure stacking. We're gonna find some stuff that we love to do and we're gonna stack that stuff we're going to eat good food. This is the day we're going to roast the fatted calf. Like we're going to eat some good food and we're going to, we're going to have fun. We're going to do activities that we enjoy. Listen, the Sabbath is not you just sit in bed and stare at the ceiling and don't do anything. What, what is it that you enjoy doing that's not a part of your work life? If for you that's rebuilding an engine, working on your hot rod, go for it. Have fun. If that's fun for you, if, that, if that's pleasure stacking for you. If it's riding a horse, if it's riding your motorcycle, if it's uh, eating some, some dessert that you love, reading quietly, going on a walk, taking a bubble bath and listening to Yanni. Listen, whatever floats your boat, do your thing. <laughs> Have fun. 
Engage with yourself and do some activities that you enjoy doing. And then we, we connect with our family in a special way. And this has continued to develop in our family as, we've, as our kids have gotten older. But, but one of the things we're doing now is our Sabbath begins at six o'clock on Thursday. And, and I cook a Sabbath meal. We have this Sabbath meal and I cook it because I'm the better cook in our family. Sarah has no problem with that. Sarah's main re- recipe is Sam's take and bake foods. Like that's her thing. So, <laughs> and I love that. I'm fine with that. I don't care. <laughs> but on this day, like I'm going to cook stuff and I'm going to cook like makes like we're going to cook steaks and we're going to have potatoes. And I'm going to cook stuff from scratch and I'm going to use all of the, 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 like the good stuff. And our kids look forward to it. They come to me on Wednesday. Hey, what's for Sabbath dinner? And I'm like, I don't know yet. We'll figure it out tomorrow. And then they come home and we, we eat this meal and we light candles and, 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 and we, we do like reading of scripture and we pray and then we enter into this meal together and we talk. And it's not just like this, just so you know, like it's not this crazy holier than thou, like a moment for our family. Like we're just talking and just having fun and engaging with each other. And then at the end, we, we take communion together and we let one of the kids, we, uh, communion's on rotation. So one of the kids will do it or me and Sarah will do it. And we're, we're teaching them how to lead communion and how to lead in these things. Then we pray for each other and we go around the table and we talk about the different needs that we have. And then we have each person pray for other people and we lay hands on each other and we're all praying. We're all engaging on this. I'm telling you guys, it's like the sweetest time. Like every Thursday night, Sarah's gonna cry. And it's, this, it's the sweetest time, but, but, but we carve out this space and we invite the Lord into it and we rest in Him and we rest as our family. And listen, by no means are we perfect in this. We're still learning. I'm still learning. We're still growing in this. My encouragement to you, though, is to just dive in and start working on this and start resting and inviting God into this rest day for you. There's always going to be more to do. There's always going to be more to do. But this day we're saying, God, I trust you. I trust you enough to believe that I'm, I can rest on this day and that what I'm gonna get out of this day is gonna help me in the six days and that there's gonna be plenty for all the other days of my life. And I want you to know, this Sabbath thing is a gift. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said it like this, the Sabbath was made for man and not the man for Sabbath. It's a gift. It's a gift that God gives you. So, so think about that. If it's a gift that God gives you, it's a sacred set-apart day that God gives you, and you don't take it, what you're saying to God is, I don't want what you're offering me. That's not a good idea. Not a good idea. One last quote, and I'll be done. Sabbath is like receiving a gift of a heavy snow day every week. Stores are closed. Roads are impassable. Suddenly you have the gift of a day to do whatever you want. You don't have any obligations, pressures, or responsibilities. You have permission to play, be with friends, take a nap, read a book. Few of us would give ourselves a no obligation day very often. God gives you one every seventh day. Think about it. He gives you over seven weeks, 52 days in all of snow days every year. The Sabbath was made for man. So take it and enjoy it. You'll be well if you do. Amen? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? A lot of times at this point in the service, I've said in the past, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? But I'm gonna ask you a different question today, and that's this. What are you gonna do with this? What are you, junior high student, high school student, retiree, single mom, 
working mom, what are you going to do with this? This is something God invites you to. What are you going to do with it? Lord, I just thank you for this truth. Your word says that we know the truth and it sets us free. And I believe, God, you've called us to a greater freedom. And that this idea, this that you wove into not just the Ten Commandments, but that you wove into the creation and the rhythm of how you created this world. Well, we know that it's to our detriment to not do things your way. So we recognize that maybe we've been doing this the wrong way and we repent for that. We want you to be Lord of our work life, not just our weekend life, not just our church life, not just, we want you to be Lord of every aspect of our life. And so I pray specifically for people who have bought into the mentality of this world, the slave mentality, that Egyptian mentality that says work, 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 grind, grind, grind. We, we step away from that and we settle into your reality, the rhythm you, you call us to, which is a rest day with you and then into six days. Lord, we thank you for the blessing that comes with that. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come down at this time. Don't, don't disconnect. I want to encourage you. Don't, don't disconnect quite yet. I believe God still has some work he wants to do today. One of the things that our prayer team, as we were praying over this weekend, uh, something came out of our prayer time, which was as we move in obedience to rest in God, bodies will heal. I believe as we begin to step outside of doing things according to the ways of this world, that some of the cursing that tries to get on us from doing things that way can be broken off of us and specifically in the area of healing. So there were, there were three areas of specific sickness, but maybe there's another area you may have, but these are the three that God put on our heart. Hypertension, carpal tunnel, and arthritis. If you find yourself dealing with one of those things, I believe God wants to heal you of that. And, and maybe today you find yourself, this is the one that God really laid on my heart was, was anxiety talk to you about the anxiety that the world is operating out of. And anxiety, the, the idea behind anxiety is really, it's just fear. And the fear is this. See, fear is this. It's, it's projecting our future with God absent in that future. That's what fear is. Faith is projecting our future with God at the center of it. And so to walk by faith means that I walk ahead into the future, believing that when, as I obey God, he'll be in the center of the future ahead of me. And maybe you find yourself today going, oh, I just don't know. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can really trust God if that's you. And there's a little anxiety related to what I'm inviting you to do. I want to encourage you to come down and just pray and just connect with us and ask God, hey, God, would you, would you heal me of this fear, of this anxiety, of, of living, of this slave mentality that I've bought into? So if you find yourself, any of those things relate to you, or maybe you, you got another thing that's going on in your life. You need prayer for anything We'd love to pray with you. So would you stand with me? We're going to go back into a time of worship. And this is your, your moment. If you need prayer, I want to encourage you to start making your ways down to the altar. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to break any kind of fear. We'd love to pray with you for healing. We believe God wants to do something in your life. If it matters to you, it matters to God. So Lord, I just pray for everyone in this room. I pray, Lord, if they're dealing with something related to fear, related to anxiety, related to to any of these things, arthritis, hypertension, carpal tunnel, if those things are going on, I pray that we would step out in faith so that we can receive the healing that you offer us today, Lord. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, 
Go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.